welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. So I want to share with you just some real simple stuff, but this this is something that most people don't think this way, and that's the reason they don't get the right results. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so whatever your life is like right now, it's a result of the way you're thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 is where it says that. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And many people don't like that. They like to blame. You know, like in our society today, we've got people blaming what happened back in the 1860s in the Civil War. And they're sitting there punishing people and breaking windows and doing stuff. And they're trying to blame it. And the reason I'm such a jerk is because of you. That's not true. That's not true. Your life is going the direction of your dominant thoughts. It's not what other people do to you. It's the way you respond that causes things. And again, there's a lot of people don't like this because they, they, it takes away their guilt and condemnation thinking, oh no, uh, I'm not responsible for the mess I am. You don't understand. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. I've had this happen. It's the color of my skin. It's my lack of education. It's all of these things. And they blame everybody else. But the scripture puts the responsibility for your life upon yourself. And many people don't like that. But if you understand correctly, and I'm going to try and share some things with you, this is really a blessing. Because nobody can do anything to me without my consent and cooperation. I can't become a victim without me buying into it. Now, I'm not saying that bad things don't happen to good people. But I am saying I could show you people that have had worse things happen to them than anybody has had happen to them in here. And yet they have prospered and overcome and been able to succeed. And through Jesus, we've been born again. We have his power on the inside. And we are more than a conqueror. And you've got to quit blaming other people and looking at other people and wanting, you know, all of society to change before you get your life straightened out. Because you can't change society. You can't change who you were born to. You can't change the color of your skin. You can't change whether you're male or female. News bulletin. You cannot change that. I don't care what you say. Amen. Did you know that every cell in your body has either got two Y chromosomes or an X and a Y chromosome? Two Y chromosomes make you a female. And every cell in your body is that way. And I don't care how you feel on a certain day. They could, they could exhume your body a hundred years after you're dead and tell whether you're a male or a female by checking what's in your bones. Because that, that's who you are on a cellular level. I tell you, anyway, you can't change society. You can't do all of these things. But the only thing you have control over is yourself. And most of us aren't controlling ourselves very well. But when you understand the things that we're talking about, then 
you, it actually becomes a blessing to recognize that nobody can make me anything without my cooperation. People can do bad things to me. I'm sure that all of us in here have been rejected and hurt and things have happened. People say, I was raised in a dysfunctional family. Who wouldn't? <laughs> it's just varying levels of being dysfunctional, amen. All of us at one time or another. I remember when I was a little kid, I was going to run away and change my name and I wasn't going to be a Womack anymore. And I wasn't even out, outside of uh, side of my house until I thought, where am I going? I don't have any clothes with me except what I was wearing. I'm not, and I, I thought this was a bad choice. And I intentionally got caught in a barbed wire fence so that my brother could catch up with me and drag me back home. But you know what? All of us at some time or another have been upset about something. But, but man, that doesn't mean that you have to have your life destroyed. God gave you authority. And if you will accept that responsibility and the authority, yes, it means that other people may have done things to you, but it was your poor reaction to it that puts you into the problems that you're in. And if you'll accept that, well, then that means that, praise God, you will be able to change. God has given you the power and the authority. And our society today is just masters at blaming everybody else. But uh, praise God, you are in control of yourself through the Lord. You can't do it on your own, but through the Lord, you can overcome anything. I just want to turn over here to Genesis and share with you some really simple things. Some of you are going to think this is so simple, you were looking for something deeper, but this will really help you if you'll receive it. So in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's the devil. You got authority over the devil because he is a creep. In verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image in the image of God. Created he him, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Boy, there's so much in these verses. First of all, God created us. We did not Evolve. You know, Dwayne Sheriff was just here this last week and I heard him say that we didn't go from ooh to the zoo to, to you. Amen. God created us. We have not evolved. Man, I could spend a whole service on that, but that is just, it defies logic. Psalms chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, uh, Shows his handiwork day unto day, utter speech. If you look at those words in the Hebrew, it literally means that God has like put his signature on the fact that he is the creator on all of creation. Man can't make a single tree. They can make something that looks like a tree. It may feel like a tree and stuff, but it won't ever produce. It can't reproduce. Man can't do any of this stuff. You could pool all of the resources of the human race and they could not duplicate one blade of grass. They could put something that looks like it, but it'll never grow. Anybody who can't see that God created us, and I'm, this is Steve's church, and uh, 
I'm going to put a disclaimer on this that uh, if I offend you, don't get mad at Steve over it. Amen. Come back and listen to him. But the Bible says that if you can't recognize there's a God, you're a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Psalms chapter 14, 1. Psalms chapter 53, verse 1. I mean, anybody that can't see God in creation is just foolish. You know, this building. I like this building, but somebody built this. If you were to, you know, if you were to land on Mars, and if they found a building like this on Mars and nobody was in it, but if there was a building like this on Mars, they'd be shouting from the rooftops. There had to be life on Mars because this can't evolve. And yet this isn't even alive. It can't reproduce. This is nothing like just a blade of grass or anything else. People, if they found this on, a, on another planet, would be yelling, there has to be life, intelligent life that created this. And yet we see all of the complexity of the universe and of nature and people think, oh, this just happened accidentally. That's dumber than a bag of rocks. Man, that is weird. So this shows that God created us. And he gave us authority and told us to take dominion. Boy, there is so much in this. I wish I had time to really unpack this. But did you know God? It says over in Psalms chapter 89 verse 34. It says uh, that my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of my lips. People aren't like that. People will say I'll be at church at a certain time. And they may or may not be there They break their word. They say things all of the time. And if it's something that's going to work against them, they'll just say, well, I've changed or whatever. But you know what? God cannot lie, it says in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 1 says he upholds all things by the power of his word. Hebrews 1, 3. He He spoke this world into existence. And according to Hebrews 1, 3, he holds it together by the power of his word. If God ever broke his word, this universe, you and I, would self-destruct. We'd fly apart. I don't know if any of you have ever studied this, but did you know in the nucleus of an atom, there are light-charged particles in the nucleus? And every law of nature that we know, when you put light-charged particles together, they repel each other. It's like if you take a magnet and put the two positive ends of a magnet together, it'll repel. It'll, It'll fly apart. And so, why in the world isn't every atom in the universe flying apart? Instead, it's held together somehow. Matter of fact, man has only learned how to split like plutonium and uranium, some of the unstable atoms. But I heard Oral Roberts one time say that in a slice of bread, there is enough nuclear energy in one slice of white bread to power an ocean liner across the Atlantic and back. If you could split those atoms. But they can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because the Bible says he holds all things together with the power of his word. If he ever broke his word, all of these atoms, the whole universe would just come undone. It would would implode. God's word cannot be violated. The reason I'm pointing that out is to say when he said you have dominion over the earth. And you subdue it over all of the cattle, over all the fish, over everything. God gave mankind authority over this earth. And God 
is not running this earth. Now, he has ultimate control as owner. He's the one that's creator. And he has told us that he will get certain things done. And he's told us how this world will come to an end and what the future will be. But he doesn't micromanage and control everything. And yet most people believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God is sovereign if you'll use sovereign the way the dictionary defines it as being highest in rank, order, or authority. I agree with that. God is absolute. God Almighty. But God is not sovereign the way religion has defined it, that he controls your life and makes things happen. And so God sovereignly, well, it must be God's will for you to be sick. Because after all, you couldn't get sick if God didn't want you to be sick. That's what religion teaches. Religion will mess you up. You need to get away from religion. Christianity and religion are two separate things. But man, there are people that teach that God's the one that causes all of the deformities. God's the one that causes sickness and disease. God controls everything. They'll even say that, you know, our elections, it's God that puts in people. And so, you know, President Biden couldn't be president if God didn't want him to be president. That's not what the Bible says. Hosea, or I think it's Hosea chapter 8. I should look this up. Is that it? Hosea 8, 4 says, you have set up kings, but not by me. You have made princes, but I knew it not. Right there it says that people can put a person in as king, and God didn't do it. They make princes, and God is not the one who does that. And yet religion has come along. I think the reason that they came up with this is because they pray for somebody, and they want to see a healing And if they don't see them heal, rather than sit there and say, I missed it, you missed it, or maybe we just aren't strong in faith, maybe we got doubt and unbelief. Rather than accept responsibility, it's easier just to say, well, it must be God's will. God must want them to be sick. I was told that God's the one that killed my father when I was 12 years old, that that God needed him in heaven more than I needed him. And religion comes up with all of this stuff. But the reason that we see so much bad happening in things is not because God wills it. He gave authority over this earth to us. And we are the ones that have screwed all of this up. It's man's poor choices that are making all of these things happen. For those of you who think that God controls everything, let me just ask you this. Does God control you? Do you always do what you know God wants you to do? I don't believe there's a single person in here that's going to say you're always doing exactly what God tells you to do. And so if he doesn't control you, what makes you think he controls everybody else and controls everything? God gave us authority. And that works against us if we don't understand it. And if we're just sitting there saying, que sera, sera, whatever will be. And we're waiting on things. To, we're waiting on God to just work things out. No, it, it, we have to get involved. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And most people stop right there. And they just say, God's able to do anything. That's not what that verse says. It says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
If you don't have any power working on the inside of you, you limit God. And this is what I was trying to get at. God has a perfect plan for every one of us. His will, according to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The NIV says a hope and a future. God's plans for you are only good. God's never made a piece of junk. God's never made a failure. God is never destined for anybody to just have their life destroyed and you just are one of those people that didn't have any talents or abilities. God has created every one of us individually. His plans for you are perfect, but it only works according to the power that's working in you. You have authority over your life. God will not force you to do anything. God doesn't force you to be healed. He doesn't force you to be prosperous. I had, I bet you, half a dozen people this last week when I was in Chicago come and ask me to just pray that God would make them serve Him. That He would make them love Him. And I told at least half a dozen people, I said, I can't pray that. God's not going to force you to do anything. I said, I could pray that you will be responsive to the Lord and stuff. But God's not going to force you. I'm not condemning anybody for doing that. Because when I first got turned on to the Lord, I said the same thing. God, I, I knew that you know there was a chance of me not continuing with the Lord and seeking Him. And I used to just pray and say, oh God, make me serve you. But he doesn't do that. He's not going to force you to do anything. You have authority over your life. And again, many people don't like that because that puts responsibility on me. You say it's my fault that my life is in such a mess? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And a lot of people don't like that. But, well, that's not so. You may not have gone out and have prayed and said, God, I want... To have sickness in my body. I want cancer. You may not have gone out and sought cancer and asked for it. But you have been believing lies. You have been believing that you're only human. You're believing that cancer is incurable. Which it's not. You're believing that, well, you know, 90 something percent or whatever die of cancer. And you had believed those things. And that made you susceptible to cancer. You could have been believing what the Word of God says, like in Psalms chapter 91, that no plague will come nigh my dwelling. Only with my eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked. That's a part of Scripture. Uh, Exodus chapter 23 verse 25 says that He will bless your bread and water and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Did you know that the word take... And away is the same word. It's repeated before and after sickness. And that word means to turn off. Did you know if you would take what the word of God says, you can literally turn off your body so that it doesn't get sick. And I know some of you, I don't believe that. That's the reason you get sick. I don't get sick. I've had two colds in 53 years and it was because of stupidity. Not because of anything. I was one time I preached forty one times in one week, and then the next week I preached forty times, and I got so tired I crawled into bed 
laid there for nearly 24 hours and felt pretty good. So I got up and split a cord of wood by hand and did too much too fast and I got a head cold. And then another time I went 76 hours with no sleep coming back from an overseas trip. And when I got home, a pond I had built had the drain had plugged up and it was in January and I broke the ice and went down under the water to unplug the drain after not sleeping for 76 hours and I got a cold. Those are the only two times I've had anything happen in 53 years and that was stupidity. That wasn't sickness. <laughs> I'm, I'm mortal. I got to take care of myself and I didn't do a good job. But I don't get sick. I don't believe in getting sick. And I love you all. And again, if what I said rubs you the wrong way, Steve's nicer than I am. I'm not sure that that's true. I think he's, I think he's pretty strong. But anyway, don't judge him by what I say. But you know what? I, if this is a typical group, I can guarantee you 80, 90% of you get sick just as much as people that don't even know the Lord. Amen or oh me. I'm not condemning you. I'm not mad at you. You can be sick and go to heaven and you can get there quicker. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. But I'm saying most people do not understand that God gave us authority. And He gave us power. And so when sickness comes, they will do something like, Oh God, we ask you to heal if it be your will. You're going to die praying that way. That is wrong. And people, when somebody comes to get prayer, Father, we ask you to heal them. Just stretch forth your hand and touch this person and heal them. That's a prayer of unbelief. Somebody says, well, what's wrong with that? The Bible says that by his stripes you were healed. It's already been done. And then in the 10th chapter of the book of um, Matthew, it's also in Luke chapter 9, when he commissioned his disciples, he says, you go heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you receive. Freely give. He told you to heal the sick. You. Not to ask him to do it. You do it. You heal the sick. <laughs> and some people are like, what are you saying? You think you got power to heal the sick? It's not my power. I can't heal a that. But God has given me his power and he's given me the authority to use it. And instead of me coming and just starting by speaking unbelief, oh God, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing, but we know that you can do all things. If it's your will, would you please reach forth your hand? You have already killed whatever power flowing through you there was going to happen because you started and prayed all wrong. Instead of talking about what you don't have, it's true that in yourself you're nothing, but in Christ... You have been given authority and power over all sickness, over all disease, over all demons. And you have to start from the place of victory instead of the place of defeat. Instead of speaking forth your unbelief, you need to speak forth your faith. And most people, especially religious people, man, this just rubs them the wrong way because you're arrogant. You know, I don't have any way of proving this to you right now, but it's not arrogance. It's actually humility for you to sit there and look at cancer that in the natural 
has killed millions of people in the natural. You have no power against it. It's humility for you to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm greater than this cancer. It's not normal. It's not natural. You have to humble yourself and submit yourself to the Word of God and begin to start speaking what God's Word said. It's actually humility. We've got a weird idea of what humility is. We think humility is beating yourself down and thinking that you're no good. Humility is just thinking about yourself what God says. Not going above it. That's arrogance. Or going below it. That's also pride. Did you know people who are timid and shy are very, very proud people? And most of you just had a disconnect right there. Because we only define pride as being arrogance. But did you know what pride is in its simplest form? P-R-I-D-E. I. Self-centeredness is the source, the center of pride. If you are a shy person, and I can say this with conviction because I was so timid and shy that I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And I can tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking all about me. I was thinking, am I going to say something stupid? Am I going to forget this person's name? It was all about me. And the reason that I was so introverted was because I was so self-centered. I was so focused on me. And man, it changed my life. God did a number of things. But one time I was trying to minister and it was pitiful. Some of you still think it's pitiful, but it's not as pitiful as it used to be. I was trying to minister and for two years it was just, it was agony Because I was so afraid of what people were going to think about me. And was I going to say or do something wrong? And one time after I ministered, I remember this little Mexican guy walked up to me. And he says, you know what? You've got some good things to share. And he says, if you ever got more concerned about the people you're ministering to than you were about yourself and what they thought of you, you could be a blessing. And man. That was like a dagger in my heart, but it was the truth. And I recognized that's it. I was worried about what people thought about me instead of thinking about you. Did you know that there are some of you that have had miracles happen in your life? You've seen great things happen. And yet, if I was to ask you, all right, come up here and share. Your first thought wouldn't be about the people and how what you've experienced could help them. Your first thought would be, what about me? Oh, I'm not prepared. Give me time to think. Self, self, self. You know what that is? That's pride. And so you can be proud thinking you're better than everybody else, or you can be proud thinking you're lower than everybody else and just focused on yourself. It's all pride. And that's not what I'm talking about. It takes, it takes humility to stand and to say in the name of Jesus, I have the authority and the power to cast you out. And I refuse to be sick. And I refuse to do that. Some people look at that as arrogance, but it's actually humility. I'm humbling myself and saying what the Word of God says. You know, this friend of mine, Dave Duell. Any of you ever hear Dave Duell? <laughs> Wasn't he something else? He's now with Jesus. But Dave was quite the character. And he was over in uh, Africa holding a meeting. And he was in uh, one of the African nations. And, of course, they were all black. And so he was a white guy holding this meeting. And he held this meeting at night and had people come and blind eyes were open and deaf ears were open and great things happened. And so the next day 
he was just walking through the markets as a tourist and he was looking around. And of course, he stood out because he was a white guy in the midst of all these people. And so people recognized him and they they started uh, calling his name and people started running and trying to touch him. And his first thought was, it's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus. And his first thought was that, you know, I need to uh, redirect their attention all towards Jesus. But before he could say anything, the Lord spoke to him and he said, Dave, he said, what would you have thought if when I rode into Jerusalem on that little donkey and they were putting their robes in the way and palm branches and saying, Hosanna, glory to God. What would you have thought if that donkey would have said, it's not me, it's not me. (laughs) He says, nobody's praising you. They see me in you. And they said, let them touch you. And so he just started walking through like this and letting people touch him. See, some people think that's arrogance. That's humility. That's humility when you start recognizing that, God, you gave me authority and power. And I am not. If you promise me that no plague's coming nigh my dwelling and that you're going to turn off sickness and that you heal all of my sicknesses and all of my diseases, that you gave me power over all of the force of the enemy. And if those are what God has promised you, it's not arrogance to sit here and say, I'm not going to be sick. I refuse to have the devil destroy me. That's not arrogance, that's humility. That's submitting yourself to the Word of God. And it's taking your authority. And very, very, very few Christians use this authority. They constantly are begging God to do what He told you to do. Oh God, please heal me. He says, you heal them. You heal the sick. Look over here in Acts chapter 3. You might ought to read this in your Bible. You wouldn't believe this is in the Bible if you don't read it. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 2 it says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, entered or asked him an alm, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Boy, I had not got time to go through all of this, but this is so important. Not only the person giving has to have uh, the right attitude, but the person receiving has to have the right attitude. In the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus could not do many mighty works in his hometown because of their unbelief, not because of him. Jesus was operating in faith 100%. He was the perfection of uh, faith and authority, and yet he couldn't do certain things in his hometown. If that was true of Jesus, then it's also true of us. And sometimes when people hear a message like this, they make the mistake of thinking, all right, well, then I'm going to go and just make everybody receive on my faith. doesn't work that way. Jesus couldn't do it. You can't do it. So this man was expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And notice, it says that when this happened... Peter never even prayed a prayer. 
He didn't say, Father, I know that this is beyond me. I can't do anything. I'm nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing, but you can do all things. He didn't do that. He says, such as I have, give I unto thee. And then he didn't even pray a prayer. He just told him, I have this. I'm giving it unto you. And then he reached down and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you know, in this church, I know I'm accepted and Steve has preached these things. But in most churches, if I was to go in and preach this, they'd kick me out for saying this. Who do you think you are? Well, I by myself am nothing. John chapter 15 verse 5 says, Jesus was speaking and he says, You... Uh, can do nothing without me. Without me, you can do nothing. And I agree with that 1,000%. But I'm never without him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. If somehow or another you could take my spirit and separate it from my soul and body, what the Bible calls dead. (laughs) James chapter 2, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, when your spirit leaves your body is when you die. But if somehow or another I can still be alive, and if you could separate my spirit from my soul and body, well, that soul and body is nothing. Jesus said, John six sixty three, the it's the spirit that quickens, makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. My flesh is nothing. But I'm never just totally by myself. I have a born-again spirit. God lives on the inside of me. And so, it's never just what I can do personally. I am a carrier of God. So are you. And you've got to start seeing who you are in Christ and recognizing the authority. When He created Adam and Eve, you have dominion. You subdue it. And brothers and sisters, we're doing a poor job of subduing all of these things to us. We have to start taking our authority and quit asking God and start speaking like like Peter did right here. I remember that the first little church I pastored, we only had 12 people come to those services. I had a man bring his son who didn't have any vocal cords. He was born without vocal cords. And his son was like, I don't know, 30 years old or something like that. And so anyway, I, I prayed over him. Or excuse me, I didn't even pray over him. I talked to him and told him a lot of these things that we had authority and power. And then I just laid hands on him and commanded him to speak. And he opened his mouth and tried and nothing came out. Didn't have any vocal cords. I said, have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he shook his head no. And I said, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And so I laid hands on him for that. And he just all of a sudden started speaking in tongues. Guy was 20-something years old, never said a word. And after he left, I thought, God, I never prayed. I never asked you to heal him. And then I thought, well, it worked. <laughs> and then, so that's all right. But we've got that kind of power and authority. But instead of using what we've got, we are asking God to do what he told us to do. It doesn't work that way. Look at this passage in Mark chapter 11. I'm giving you all multiple messages in one. Mark chapter 11. This is where Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and he was hungry, saw a fig tree that had leaves. 
And he went over there to get some figs. And when he got there, there were no figs. And in Israel, their trees produce uh, leaves before they produce the figs. Or no, that's not right. It produces figs before it produces leaves. And so when this fig tree had leaves, it was professing that it had something that it didn't have. It was a pervert. He's the one that created all of these trees. And it was not functioning the way he created that tree to. So when he saw that, he just spoke to this tree. And he says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. That's in verse 14. And it says his disciples heard it. And then they went into the uh, Jerusalem. They cast the money changers out of the temple. And they went back home that uh, evening the same way. And nobody mentioned anything about the fig tree. But the next day, it says um, in verse 20, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Man, this is a great message too. But uh, the Lord spoke to it and there was no visible proof that anything happened immediately. But within 24 hours, the next day, that fig tree was dried up from the roots. The significance of that is that the moment Jesus spoke, that thing was done. But it was below the surface. It was in the roots where you couldn't see it. There's a lot of people that they want to exercise their authority in like in healing or something. They speak and they command something. And if they don't see instantaneous results, then they just automatically get into doubt. Well, nothing happened. If it was God, this would have already been healed. That's not true. Jesus spoke. And it took 24 hours for what he had said to come to pass in the visible realm. But in the invisible realm, below the surface, it was done instantly. Likewise, when God speaks, when we speak and curse sickness, you may not see or feel anything at that exact moment. But if you believe, it took place in the spirit realm. And it's a matter of it manifesting and coming out into the physical realm. So anyway, the next day when they came by... They saw it, and Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. You know, we don't have the benefit of hearing the way he said this, hearing the inflection of his voice. But I can guarantee you, he didn't just go, Master, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. (laughs) It was more like he was shocked, like, Master, the fig tree that you cursed, it's dead, it's withered away. He was shocked. And we don't have the benefit of hearing the inflection of Jesus' voice either. But when he, Jesus answered and said, have faith in God, I don't believe it was like, have faith in God. It was, it was like, have faith in God. What's wrong with you guys? I've been with you for years and you still don't get it. He was shocked with them. And then he said this unto them. He says, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith, which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. There are four times that the word say or saith is used in there. And three of them, he says, Whosoever will say unto this mountain... And I don't believe he's talking about or limiting it specifically to a physical mountain. He's just talking about to whatever your problem is. Whatever your problem is, 
speak to it. Whosoever will say to this problem, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he say will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he said. So there's a number of things. You have to speak to your problem. Most Christians talk to God about their problem. God, I've got this problem. God, this bill is due. God, would you do something? That's not what he told you to do. He told you to talk to your problem. Speak to your problem. Imply it in there. If you sit down and really think about this, for you not to talk to God about your problem, but to just talk to your problem implies that you understand you have authority over things. That things will obey you. So this is implying that instead of asking God, speaking to God like, God, I'm nothing, I have nothing, but I know that you could solve this problem. Would you fix it? That's not faith. When you talk to your problem, it means that you understand that God has already done his part. Jesus has died and given us the authority. And for you to just speak to your problem instead of speaking to God about your problem implies that you are taking your authority and making this work. So you speak to the mountain and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass. You will have whatsoever you say. Most people are saying what they have instead of having what they say. There's a big difference. Most people just look at the way things are and then they just repeat that. The Bible says, Proverbs 18, 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Your words are either releasing life or death. And if you're just speaking what you already have, then you're empowering those words. You're empowering what you already have. If you go to speaking what the doctor says, people say, how are you? Oh, the doctor says I'm going to die in three months. You've empowered that. There's power in your words. And I know a lot of people don't agree with this and they think, oh, it doesn't matter what you say. It does. This whole verse is saying you have to believe that you what you say comes to pass. And the average person does not put that emphasis on words. Again, they will say things like, well, I'll be over at your house at 7 o'clock for a meal and you get there at 7.10. And you think it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Again, God upholds everything by the power of his words. If he ever lied, if he ever failed to do anything he said, the whole universe would just explode. He never violates his word. And if you violate your word, you are ungodly. You aren't like God. You need to get to where, man, you bind yourself by your words. And I think it's Psalms 15, verse 4, somewhere around there, it says that a godly man will swear to his own hurt and change not. But most people, you'll say something, and if it turns out not to be to your advantage, you'll just say, well, King's X, time's out. Uh, You know, I didn't mean it. Let's change. That's not the way a godly person is. A godly person will never tell you something and then not do it. They will do it. I had a guy come try and sell me an alarm system one time. And I had a lot of things going on. He was supposed to be there at 10 o'clock. He got there about 10.25 or 10.30. And uh, it threw my whole day off. And anyway, this guy walked in 
And he says, sorry, I'm late. He says, but I'm here now. And he started into his field. And I saw that he had a phone in a holster on his hip. And I said, you had a phone. You could have called. And he said, well, yeah, I could. But, you know, I was caught in traffic. Traffic's really bad. And, and uh, he says, but, you know, I'm here now. And I said, I don't want you product. I said, you can turn around and leave. And he says, why would you do that? He says, I came all the way from Denver. It was like an hour's drive. And I said, you could have called and let me know. And you didn't do it. I said, you lied to me. And if you treat me this way before I get your business, what's it going to be like after I get your business? I said, you aren't a person of integrity. I don't want it. He got really upset. But I tell you what, I value words. And if I tell somebody I'm going to be there, if a wreck happens or something could happen, but you could call and tell people. There's a lot of people that honestly, your words don't mean anything to you. But then you're going to try and stand on Mark 11:23 and say, I, I speak to this problem and believe that I receive. And your body's going to say, why should I believe these words? Any more than all of the other words that you speak every day. You, you tell people you're going to do this and you don't ever do it. You, you, there's going to be no assurance in your heart because you don't keep your word. You don't say what you mean. If you don't live a life of integrity, then when you speak to your problem and say, I'm not going to doubt my heart, your heart will say, well, why, what makes these words different than all the other words that you violate? I tell you, this is a big if. You have to speak to your mountain and then not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass. You can't spend your whole life just over here in lack of integrity and violating your word and then all of a sudden get spiritual and speak and believe that everything's coming to pass. You, you need to get to where you practice this. To where you don't violate what you say. You aren't quick to just make statements that you can't back up. But once you make a statement, man, you'll, you'll go to the mat over this. You'll stand and defend it. You know, I had a woman that came to me in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she had a, I don't remember what the disease was, but she had terrible pain. They said that the doctors told her that on a scale of 1 to 10, her pain was a constant 11. And she had lived with this for nine years. And two years before I met her, they said she was supposed to die. She, and there was nothing that they could do for it. And so the only way she had coped, she sewed magnets into a blanket and then she taped magnets all over her body. And somehow or another, the magnetic fields between these magnets lessened her pain. And that's the way she lived, was wrapped in this blanket with magnets. So anyway, she came over to this place where I was. And she sat on a couch. And I sat on the coffee table in front of this couch and ministered to her. And it's a long story. I won't go into the whole thing. But she believed God was the one that gave her the sickness. I had to counter that. She says, God is getting glory out of me being sick. I said, that is not so. That's not what the Word teaches. And I just countered thing after thing after thing. And I began to stand against all of this stuff. So finally, uh, after about 20 or 30 minutes of me ministering to her, I said, let me pray for you. And so I, I took authority. I took her hands and I rebuked that pain. And I commanded pain to leave her body and uh, and... And said that all that was gone. And then I asked her, I said, so how do you feel? And she moved around a little bit. Then she stood up and she took this blanket off and she goes, I don't have any pain. 
First time in, I think, nine years that this woman had been pain-free. And she was just instantly pain-free. And then she, but she says, I've got a burning right here in my back at the waist. And she says, why do I still have burning? I said, you didn't tell me you had burning. I didn't talk to burning. I talked to pain. And so I talked to the burning and I commanded the burning to stop. And, and the burning was gone. And so then I took these exact verses and I told her, now if you ever have another pain or burning, it doesn't mean that you weren't healed. It's just like the devil knocking on the door. Seeing, will you let him back in? He knows that when I say, I believe, I receive what I say, but he's not sure about you. And so you may have the pain or the burning come back, but it doesn't mean you lost it or it doesn't mean that you weren't healed. It's just the devil knocking on the door, seeing if you'll let him back in. And I taught her how to do this, to speak to the problem and everything. So I spent about 20 minutes teaching her how to do this. And she got ready to leave. And I remember she was walking towards the door. She put her hand on the doorknob and just froze like that. And then she looked over her shoulder and she says, the burning's back. And I said, well, I've been teaching you for 20 or 30 minutes what to do. I said, so I'm going to just join hands and let you pray. And so I joined hands. And this woman, this is nearly word for word what this woman said. She said, Father, thank you that you did not give me this sickness. That is not your will. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. I claim my healing in Jesus' name. You know, that's a bad prayer. Some of it, what's wrong with that? Well, it was good things that she said. Considering that 45 minutes before she had been a Presbyterian, that was really good. (laughs) So it was better than what she had been praying, but it wasn't what he told us to do. You don't get healed just saying, Father, I thank you that it's your will for me to be healed. I claim my healing in Jesus' name. That won't get you healed. He said to speak to your problem. So after I prayed with her, after she prayed, I said, so do you still have the burning? And she said, yes. Why do I still have burning? And I said, because you didn't do what he told you to do. You didn't take your authority. You didn't rebuke that burning. And she says, you mean I'm supposed to say burning and talk to it like it's a person? I said, yes. And she said, I'll do it. And so we joined hands again. And this woman got mad. And she said, burning in the name of Jesus. And that's as far as she got. And she says, it's gone. And that was back in 2001. And I've seen her a number of times since then. And and she's never had another problem with it. But I'm telling you, this is where so many people miss it. They aren't taking their authority. They're saying, oh, God, you can heal me. God, you can do it. I claim healing. You're saying great things. By his stripes, I'm healed. You're quoting scriptures. And what that'll do, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That'll build your faith up. And there is a place for praying that way in order to edify yourself and build you up. But it won't get you healed. You eventually have to start taking authority. And say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, this is illegal. I refuse this. I command cancer out of my body. I command my eyes to see clearly. I command you, body. I heart, I command you in the name of Jesus. You have to start taking authority and speak to whatever the problem is. If it's physical, speak to your body. If it's financial, speak to things. 
I actually had a guy one time heard me preach on this, and he went out to his mailbox because he was just getting bill after bill after bill. And he went out and got down on his knees and spoke to his mailbox. (laughs) I know this sounds weird, but I think you're weird for not doing what the Bible says. (laughs) He spoke to his mailbox and he says, you quit bringing me only bills. I command money, income, revenue. And he got to talk. And did you know that the very next day he got $10,000 in his mailbox? That's pretty awesome. I know somebody saying, I don't believe that. Well, it won't work for you. You got to say it and believe it. In your heart, not doubt in your heart. But I'm telling you, you have authority and power. God gave you authority and power. You've first of all got to convince yourself of it. You know, Paul said, I'm fully persuaded. There's a difference between just hearing something and say, well, I believe that. I agree with that. But then you've got to persuade yourself. The word persuade implies that you are removing the doubts. Did you know you can believe something and disbelieve at the same time? And real strong faith when you start seeing results is when you get persuaded and then fully persuaded to where you have removed doubts. And you don't doubt that when you stand and use your authority that it's coming to pass. There are many people that when they pray and see something happen, it surprises them because they really didn't believe. God is merciful to us. And we, every once in a while, squeak a prayer by the devil and uh, get it answered. But I remember one time in Omaha, Nebraska, I called out through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that somebody who was cross-eyed was being healed. And there was a young 12-year-old boy that he was so cross-eyed, his eyes were just like this. And he was so cross-eyed that he couldn't even walk. His mother took him by the hand and led him to the front. And I prayed for him, laid hands on him, and commanded those eyes to see clearly. And I, when I got through, I was getting ready to tell him, Now, you know, just like this fig tree, it may not happen instantly, but you've got the power of God in you. And, and I was getting ready to encourage him to just keep standing regardless of what it looked like. And when I opened my eyes and he opened his eyes, his eyes were perfect. They were straight, perfect, instantly. And you know what the great man of God did? I said, I don't believe it. In front of hundreds of people, I said, I don't believe it. And his eyes went, boom, just like that. And I said, oh God, I'm sorry. And I repented and I prayed with him another 10 or 15 minutes and never did see his eyes straighten up again. But here I was praying for something and doing all of the things I said. And yet when it happened instantly, it shocked me. And I said, I don't believe it. So it's possible to believe something, but not be persuaded and not be fully persuaded. And this is describing a process to where you get so strong in something that you know I've got it. And you do not encourage, embrace, allow any doubt To the contrary. And brothers and sisters, most of us are over 20 years old in here. And you've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, baptized in unbelief. Thinking unbelief. To where the word of a doctor is more real than the word of God. The word of a banker is more real. We just, 
been going around by our feelings, by our emotions, our whole life. And here you are hearing a message and you want to implement it. And if we don't see instantaneous results, then we're going to say, I don't believe that stuff works. It works. It works exactly the way I've been describing it. But the condition, the the variable is our heart. Whether or not you can believe and not doubt in your heart. It's not that God is holding back and saying, you don't believe strong enough. He wants to bless you. But he just set it up that you have to believe to receive. And you have to speak to your mountain. Jesus is the one that taught us these things that I was talking about. And we need to get to where we are established in this and just take our authority and refuse to give up. I couldn't tell you how many times I've had the devil fight me over something and I resist, but it's token resistance. It's not with all of my heart. And then the things just get worse and worse. And finally, it's to a point where I can't stand it anymore. I get mad. I command the devil to get off my case and boom, he's gone. And I think, why did it take so long? Why did I have to wait until it got so bad before I do this? Man, you need to stir yourself up. Jamie and I, back during our poverty days, we had a a car that we were going to sell for $350. And the Lord told me that's the way that our needs were going to be met. And we had had a for sale by owner on this car for um, three weeks. And it was a dog. I'm not going to go into it, but it was really a bad car. It was it was bad. And I felt bad about even selling it to anybody. So everybody that came and looked at it, I told them all the things that were wrong and they just decided they didn't want it. And finally, we were to where we were going to be evicted. Things were going bad. And I had to have that. So I went down to the church building and I spent two or three hours praying. And I mean, I just got mad at the devil. I knew it was the devil. God had told me that that car was how the, he was going to supply this need, selling this car. And I got mad and yelling at the devil and commanding him to get off our finances. And I did that for two or three hours. And there's I, groaning in the spirit. I don't have time to explain what that was. But I, I got into some stuff. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that that thing was done. I knew we had our need meant. And so I went home to tell Jamie that the car was sold and that our need was met. And she met me at the door saying, a guy called. He's going to be at the church in five minutes. He wants to buy the car. He's got cash. I wasn't even able to tell her what had happened. <laughs> and so I went back down there. And anyway, this guy wanted to buy the car. And I said, look, it's, it burns a quart of oil every 50 miles. And he says, no problem. I said, I cracked the block and the water came out. And I've been running it for a year and a half with no water in the, in the thing. And he says, no problem. I said, the U-joints are going and the thing shakes. This was a 57, 56 or 57 Bel Air. And, uh, you know, the keys could come out without turning the engine off. And the U-joints shook so bad that the keys would come out of the ignition. And we had a hole in the floorboard. And if you weren't quick, it could go through the hole in the floorboard. And I told him all of these things. And he says, I still want it. And I finally... I said, you're going to have to drive it around the block. We drove it around the block, left a big old cloud of smoke and everything. And when we got back, he says, could I have it now? And I said, well, I guess so. And so I signed it over and he gave it to me. And he told me, he says, three weeks ago, the very first day that you put a for sale sign on this car, I told my wife that that was our car. And he says, I want it not to drive it for parts. 
he was a mechanic and he just wanted to take the parts off of it. And he said his wife told him, the last thing we need is another junk car around this place. And no, you can't do that. And it was on a Saturday afternoon and he was watching a football game. And in the middle of the football game, he hadn't even talked to his wife about it. She just walked in and threw the money in his lap and says, go get your car. And he called. That's the exact time I was praying. And I thought, why in the world did I wait three weeks to deal with this thing? But see, it wasn't God that was holding back. It was Satan hindering me through, you know, through them, through the things that were going on. And I just had to get in there and stand and fight. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God wants you to prosper. He wants you well. He wants you prosperous. But he's given you that authority. He's not going to do it for you. It's according to the power that works in you. You are going to have to renew your mind and stand and release your faith. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.